Good morning, everyone. As Craig mentioned, we are going through a sermon series now on prayer. And we're doing this because we believe that prayer is maybe the most important spiritual discipline of the Christian life. Um, As you make prayer a priority in your life, you make God a priority in your life. And I've found that the things I prioritize in my prayer life are the things that also then become a priority in my life. It's, I don't need to tell you, you know that prayer is an incredibly important part of what it means to be a Christian. I found that in the, uh, in the times in my spiritual life where I'm not doing well, where I'm really struggling, I tend to, I tend to avoid prayer, right? I might still read my Bible, but I'll just like read it and then I won't pray because then I don't have to like face God and deal with the stuff that I should be dealing with, right? Um, but that's not how we want to live. Prayer is just incredibly important. So the way we are thinking about prayer is we're going through the teachings of Jesus about prayer. And I guess we're kind of calling this Jesus Masterclass on prayer. And I feel like I should address um, something that happened a few weeks ago when Jeremiah Uh, publicly shamed the rest of the teaching team because we didn't respond to his email when he uh, wanted to officially title this sermon series The Masterclass. So I I publicly confess that I did not reply to his email when I should have, and I repent. Um, There's there's something about sermon series that are like named after pop culture things that just kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, But I'm probably more sensitive to that than I should be. So... Anyway, we are talking about prayer. And um, last week, Jeremiah preached on a parable that Jesus tells about prayer in Luke chapter 18, about this unjust judge and a widow. And the, the point of that parable was to pray without ceasing. Immediately after that parable, Jesus tells another parable about prayer. And so we're going to be reading and thinking about this parable together. It's Luke chapter 18. Uh, beginning with verse 9. You can look on uh, with me if you have your Bibles. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, There's a lot we could say about this parable, but I want to look at three things that I think this parable teaches us. I think it shows us what prayer is not. I think it shows us what prayer is, and I think it gives us an example of how to pray. So first of all, what prayer is not? We see this clearly in this parable in the example of the Pharisee, right? 
This parable is obviously working with this contrast of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee here is an example of what prayer is not. And to kind of oversimplify and boil it down, I would say prayer is not self-exaltation. Prayer is not self-exaltation. We see the Pharisee exalting himself in this prayer in a couple of different ways. First, and this is a little harder to see, we actually, I think, see this, the Pharisee exalting himself over God. And the way that works is the beginning of the Pharisee's prayer is actually really good. His prayer starts out really well. He says, God, I thank you that. Right? That's a great way to start a prayer by saying, God, I thank you that, and then continuing with what you thank God for. It's, that's good. I recommend that. Um, if you actually look at it in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, and compare it to the Greek version of the Old Testament, the language is really similar to a bunch of uh, the Psalms. There's a collection of Psalms that uh, are called Thanksgiving Psalms. Right? They're called that because they give thanks. Right? Um, this collection of Thanksgiving Psalms that use the same verbiage. Right? God, I thank you that. But when you read the Thanksgiving Psalms, what happens is the psalmist will say, God, I thank you that. And then what follows is an enumeration of divine acts, right? God, I thank you that you created the heavens and the earth. God, I thank you that you are merciful and just. God, I thank you that you have defeated my enemies. That's the sort of things we see in the Thanksgiving Psalms. But the Pharisee doesn't do that. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, right? He sort of twists this form of the Thanksgiving psalm and replaces a section that should be full of divine actions, and he instead focuses on his own actions and on his own character. So the Pharisee, I think, is actually exalting himself over God. And he's not doing it by saying, God, I'm better than you. He's doing it by shifting the focus. When it should be focused on God, he is shifting the focus to himself. And in doing so, he's replacing God's actions with his own actions. So we see the Pharisee exalting himself over God. Not only that, but... Also, we see him exalting himself over others, right? This is much more clear. He begins by saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, right? He divides all of humanity into two groups, himself and everyone else, right? And everyone else, they're robbers and evildoers and adulterers, and he is the good one, right? He even, the height of his hubris is he even sees the tax collector and goes, God, thank you that I'm not like that dude over there who probably sucks, right? I'm better, and God, thanks. We even see the Pharisee exalting himself over other people in the sort of physicality of the space. It says the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, right? The, um, he's probably at the temple. Uh, if we could imagine when this would happen, the temple... Uh, especially had public prayer at 9 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. So this is probably happening at that time. It's probably busy, somewhat crowded, and the Pharisee goes out of his way to remove himself from everyone else, right? 
because he thinks his actions make him better. And then he exalts himself in this prayer. I think when we read this prayer, um, not this prayer, this parable, I think it's really hard for us to relate to the Pharisee at first. I know it is. I know it is for me. I think there's something about the, because <laughs> I'm so humble, right? Uh, no, I think it is for me because I think there's something about the hyperbole of what's happening here that can make it hard to relate to. Um, I think it's unlikely that you or I would pray, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, right? We probably wouldn't use those words. But it becomes much easier for me to relate to the Pharisee when I realize that everything he is saying is probably true and all of the things he's doing are good. So the Pharisees were a uh, religious group of people in the first century who were known especially for their love for God's word, right? They cared a lot about God's law They had authoritative interpretations of the Old Testament. And they cared so much. They really wanted to keep God's word. So they cared so much about it. They had all these um, ways to make sure that they were really, you know, they didn't even want to risk breaking God's law. So they put all these things in place to make it so they wouldn't. They were people who loved God's word. I think sometimes the Pharisees in... um, in Christian sort of preaching, especially Protestant preachings, the Pharisees often get probably a worse rap than they deserve as these just like total hypocrites. Um, and that's probably not a fair characterization of the whole. Uh, Jesus' theology was probably closest to the Pharisees of any of the Jewish groups. They were generally good people who were trying to obey God's word. So when this Pharisee says, God, thank you that I'm not a robber, right? He's probably right, right? Thank you that I do all these things. He probably is doing all those things. And then the things he actually lists, right, are good, right? Don't rob, right? (laughs) Don't be an evildoer. Don't cheat on your spouse, right? Um, He says he fasts twice a week, which is even like going totally above and beyond. The Old Testament only requires fasting uh, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur. So this guy, fasting twice a week, is like going above and beyond. He's tithing, giving a tenth of all he's get. That's good. We should tithe, right? The Pharisee is thankful for things that are true and for things that are good. The problem here is that the Pharisee has taken these good things and he has corrupted them by using them to exalt himself. He has taken something good and corrupted it to exalt himself. So the question for us becomes, what good things tempt us to exalt ourselves? Uh, I've mentioned before uh, during sermons that one of these things for me is knowing the Bible, right? Because I am... PhD student in this, uh, there are times uh, for me where I like walk into a room and I know more about the Bible than anyone there. And, and it's good, right? It's good to know about the Bible and study the Bible. But there is this persistent temptation for me to use that to think of myself as better than other people or to use that to exercise some sort of power over people. What's the good thing for you that you might use to exalt yourself?
Imagine what the prayer of the Pharisee would look like for you or for me, saying something like, God, I thank you that I'm not mean like those bullies over there. Or God, I thank you that I care for the poor unlike those ridiculously rich people. Or God, I thank you that I make time for my family unlike my coworkers, right? Good things can often uh, be corrupted by us when we use them to exalt ourselves instead of focusing on God. So the first thing we see in this parable is that prayer is not self-exaltation. And next, I think we see in the example of the tax collector that prayer is self-realization. Prayer is self-realization. This whole parable works because of this contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. And um, it's a pretty thorough contrast. The Pharisee is someone who would be seen as pious and religious and spiritual in his culture. The tax collector is someone who would be seen as a sinner, someone who is wicked and dirty. The Pharisee would be known as someone who loves the law, who loves God's word. The tax collector would be seen as someone who has colluded with the Roman Empire, someone who has betrayed his own people to serve the monetary interests of a, of a conquering kingdom. The Pharisee, he comes into the temple and he gets as close to the temple as he can. The uh, tax collector stays far away. The Pharisee stands up proud in himself. The tax collector bows his head and faces down. The Pharisee compares himself to others and is proud of his actions. The tax collector simply asks for God's mercy. I think the big difference in what's going on here is that the tax collector has an appropriate understanding of himself. Right? The Pharisee doesn't realize his pride. He doesn't realize his arrogance. He doesn't realize his hubris. He just thinks that he's totally good. Whereas the tax collector is aware of who he is when he comes to pray before God. And I think that this is one of the greatest gifts of prayer, that it puts us in our appropriate place before God Almighty. We spend our entire lives thinking about ourselves. And I don't even mean that in a bad way, just by the nature of the fact that we are an individual, like walking around this earth in a body, right? We just spend our lives thinking about ourselves. And what happens when we pray is that we put ourselves in this position where we are face to face with the king of the universe, the God who has laid the earth on its foundations, who tells the sun when to rise, the God who calls out the stars one by one, each by name, the Bible says. When we get before that God, we realize that we are not the center of it all. We realize how small we are and we realize how desperately we need God. And for people who are all too prone to constantly thinking about ourselves, that experience 
of being put in the appropriate place before God Almighty is incredibly valuable in how it helps us realize who we truly are. So prayer is not self-exaltation. Prayer is self-realization. And then lastly, I think this uh, parable gives us a sort of an example of how to pray. I hope that as we go through this sermon series, you'll realize that there isn't, there are wrong ways to pray and there are right ways to pray, but there isn't a right way to pray in the sense of like a formula, right? Say A, B, C, D, and you're good. There's, but there are helpful ways to think about going through prayer. So I think this is an example of a helpful way to think about prayer. And it's really simple. Uh, first of all, acknowledge God's greatness. Right? Acknowledge God's greatness. Um, I think we see the tax collector do this in his prayer, not so much in the words, but in the physicality of standing far off, of looking down, of beating his breast. We see the Pharisee understand God's greatness in relation to himself. Craig talked about this a couple weeks ago, that when you pray, you should try to start by just praising God for who God is. Right? It might feel weird at first if you first start trying to do that, but um, there have been so many times in my life where that part of prayer is the sweetest and the richest part of it. So you can pray by acknowledging God's greatness, and then second, acknowledging your smallness, right? realizing how much we actually pale in comparison to God Almighty. We see the tax collector do this when he calls himself a sinner. And then lastly, just ask for God's help. Simply ask for God's help. The Pharisee says, God, have mercy on me. God, I need your help. So it's just a very simple way to think about prayer. Acknowledge God's greatness, acknowledge your smallness, and then ask for God's help. I want us to practice this a little bit together. Um, And we're going to do this by... uh, sort of drawing upon an old Christian tradition called the Jesus Prayer. Um, the Jesus Prayer is a one-sentence prayer that comes, uh, that is based off the prayer of the tax collector in this passage. And the prayer is simply, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. This prayer uh, has been something Christians have been praying Uh, We can document it to at least uh, 1,500 years ago, if not earlier. Um, And it goes back to a group of of people known as the Desert Fathers and Mothers. These were uh, old Christians who would literally go out into the desert to monasteries or to caves or in extreme examples like on top of a pillar. And they would devote their entire lives to prayer. And what they would try to do is to fulfill the, the thing that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when he said to pray without ceasing. And so one of the ways they would do that is with this one sentence prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's something that Christians have been doing since then and is still practiced a lot in certain Christian communities, especially in Eastern Orthodox ones. And the idea is that you kind of link this prayer with your breathing so that you can do it continuously. And so you breathe in, and as you breathe in, you say, Lord Jesus Christ. And then as you breathe out, you say, 
have mercy on me, a sinner. And you repeat this prayer over and over, breathing in to receive whatever God might have for you, and then breathing out to turn over your life to God. Uh, So I'm going to call the band to come back up. And uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to have five whole minutes of some music in the background, and it will it will probably feel like a long time, okay? <laughs> I know that. But what I want us to do is just practice this Jesus prayer together. Uh, this is not a prayer that I do like daily in my life, but it is something that has been extremely helpful at certain times in my spiritual life, especially those times when you don't know what to pray Right? When situations feel overwhelming and you, you can't find words, this has been really helpful for me. Or in times uh, in my life when I've been feeling really emotional, uh, which is very unusual for me. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a thinker, I'm a T on the Myers-Briggs very much. So when I feel a lot of emotions, it makes me uncomfortable and I don't like it and I have trouble articulating them. Uh, so in those moments, this prayer has been incredibly helpful for me. So we're going to take five minutes, and I would just like for you to, you can sit or stand or kneel or walk around or whatever, and just repeat this prayer over and over, breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, and breathing out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, If you would like to pray with an actual person during the last song and then after the service, there will be people over here that you can pray with. Um, And we're just going to spend five minutes praying this, and then we'll go into our Uh, closing song. So Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us sinners. Mm